Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today, we're talking with Grace Bovis, the author of Take a Hike, which is about how going on a hike literally changed her life. Hi, Grace. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. And and I love the premise of your book. And so let's dive right in. How did an adventure change your life? Yeah, so good question. Um, adventure for me really brought a new a sort of third element to my life. Um, before I kind of had, you know, my friends and family and I had my work life. Um, and, you know, that was great. But I felt like there was something missing. And adventure has really given me that kind of third element, um, which I can just kind of escape into. Um, and, you know, it's really given me confidence uh, in all areas of my life. Um, but it's also given me that kind of purpose and um, sort of direction that I was kind of lacking before. Um, so that, that's been sort of the main benefits for me. And so what was your life like? You know, I think there's lots of people out there who, you know, they're kind of searching, but they don't know what they're searching for. And so so what were you like before you discovered adventure? I get this question a lot. And I think that it's really important to say that there is no experience needed to launch into adventure. I really jumped um, feet first. I mean, I will say that my childhood was reasonably active and outdoorsy. We didn't really camp much as a family, but... Um, I was lucky enough to um, ride horses, um, so I sort of had that kind of link to sport and knew about sort of physical activities and um, how that could kind of be enjoyed. So I did have that, but as a teenager, a young teenager, um, that all got forgotten as I pursued a career in fashion um, and I, you know, barely had time to go to the gym, let alone uh, go for a hike or a ride or it definitely had a long period of time where I didn't do anything um, remotely adventurous uh, or, or even active really. Was there a moment where all of a sudden you're like hey I, I got I've got to change? Yeah definitely so um, I started sort of suffering from um, you know mild anxiety I, I guess you could call it that's not been sort of diagnosed but I just felt um, very overwhelmed with my job that I was in at the time. I only lasted six months at the, the employer that I was with. And, um, you know, I go into it a lot in the book, just how, um, you know, the fashion industry is great and there's areas of it which are really brilliant and fulfilling. But I just happened to stumble into an area which just ha hadn't got such a great culture, shall we say. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a real live and breathe type career um, and I just got to a point where I was losing confidence I was not enjoying any part of my day and I eventually sort of said you know enough is enough I've got to do I've got to change I've got to get out of this situation I'm you know my mental health is deteriorating um, so I handed him a notice and it was terrifying moment but did it and this huge weight was sort of lifted off me but of course that doesn't actually solve 
much because then you're jobless, which is also a scary state to be in. But I was sort of looking around and I, I started waitressing to sort of cover the bills in the sort of gap between careers while I figured out what I wanted to do next. Um, and I started, I just really randomly stumbled upon a podcast um, about adventure uh, called the Tough Girl Podcast. And I started listening to all these women's um, experiences of um, just going on adventures. And I, it just planted a seed. I was like, this is amazing. I just had never really realized that there are so many people and, you know, especially women out there doing these amazing things. Um, and I sort of was like, well, if they can do it, so can I. And then I sort of went through in my head and I researched a few different adventures and the, um, you know, hiking, I was like, right, well, everyone can walk, you know, I can probably wear a backpack, you know, it doesn't sound that hard. I put up a tent previously, um, a long time ago. Uh, so yeah, I just basically got all the kit I needed, did a lot of Googling about, um, yeah, ultra lightweight gear, which I hadn't really heard about. Um, and obviously the PCT itself, I started kind of researching um, where I wanted to join the trail because I knew that I, well, I didn't, I didn't want to undertake the whole um, thing, but uh, I sort of eventually decided on 300 miles sounded like a really big challenge for me. I had never wild camped and didn't think to practice that before I went, <laughs> which might have been a good idea. And uh, yeah just I just booked that flight and got on it and next thing you know I was there, I was there and you have to just taking one step at a time. So a lot of people I talk to that you know do the PCT or one of these great trails they kind of have a history of backpacking or or hiking or if they're gonna go do it like I, I knew um, uh, one or I know one guy he did it but he spent like the year before the summer out doing like short backpacking trips in the winter, he was snowshoeing. So everything like he'd never done anything like that, but he kind of spent a year getting ready, ready for it. You kind of, it, it sounds like you didn't have, you know, the background. So like, and, and you're joining at the middle when everyone's kind of got their gear worked out and their routine. So you start day one. What was it like? What well, that must've been super daunting that everyone knows what they're doing is going long distances. And you know, you're probably getting blisters and trying to figure out, you know, where to camp. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a real Hail Mary. You know, it was a leap of faith. I I got a lot of pushback from my my friends and family. You know, they understandably, they were quite concerned and a little bit fearful about what I was um, trying to do. You know, it was quite an unfamiliar concept. They hadn't heard of through hiking or uh, wild camping. And, you know, quite frankly, neither had I before I started to research it um but it was i really like the idea of it that felt like a bit of a life raft at that point in my in my life and um i just the more i thought about it the more i just thought this is what i need to go and do and you know i didn't think that it going on an adventure would solve all my problems um but i just knew that I had to, had, something had to change in a big way. And, and this was, you know, a real just go and experience something completely different. Um, so yeah, when I got, um, so I flew to um, San Francisco and then got a train um, into Truckee, the first kind of town where I started. And um, I got a taxi driver to then take me from the train to the trailhead 
And those first few steps were just, yeah, terrifying. Um, I had my, um, so I used my phone and a, an app with my GPS location to navigate because I did actually carry maps and a compass, but, you know, I, I didn't really know how to use them and I'm still terrible map reading. It was sort of a bit blind faith and I, I spent a lot of time just looking at my phone, I think, in kind of trying to reassure myself that there, that there is a trail here and peop, other people will probably be on it. Um, and I was I was quite careful about, like you mentioned, that I started at a point um, sort of halfway through and that was definitely deliberate. I'd read obviously all these like amazing through hikers which start from the border of Mexico and um, and go to Canada and the other way and I knew that roughly Truckee would kind of be at the time that I could go which was July and that would roughly be where some through hikers would kind of get to um, which I was a little bit out in my calculations because there'd been such a high snowfall um, that previous winter that lots of people had sort of hitched around the snow um, so my biggest surprise was how much snow there was. Here you are doing something you haven't done before, and now you're dealing with, you know, backpacking through snow, which, uh, you know, pe- people don't realize, but when there's been a snowfall or when there's snow, you can't see the trail. And so people always think, oh, it can't be that hard. But the big thing is, well, the trails are never obvious. And especially when you get above tree line, you're like, where the heck am I supposed to go here? Uh, let alone that there's, you know, the danger of slipping and falling. Uh, so did you go north or south from Truckee? So I went north. Well, I was hiking, I think all of the first day, I didn't see a single person. And I really I kind of started to panic. I mean, I definitely approached the the adventure to do it on my own, but I didn't want to be, you know, completely alone, just me and the bears. That, that wasn't what I signed up for. But um, yeah, and then, and then I did start to see people. But those first... I think it was four four days from Truckee before I got to Sierra City, which was the next sort of uh, resu- logical resupply point near the trail. Um, yeah, there was so much snow, so I, I had my phone app out pretty much the entire time, um, just being like, there is a trail, right? You know, because like you say, it, the snow, you just, you can't see anything. And I didn't have any kind of crampons or snowshoes or anything like that. So um, there was a lot of slipping and sliding, which... Um, wasn't it was a bit disconcerting at times and I I just I was so slow I was sort of covering uh, like you know and under 10 miles um, and I, and my aim was I thought that I'd be doing sort of 20 miles a day so there was a point where I panicked and thought I was going to run out of food and being a privileged person living in the western world I'd never missed a meal before and I started to get <laughs> very panicky about the idea of uh not having enough food it really sort of the the idea just was like crazy to me like you could run out of food and then what would I do you know I really started to sort of spiral um a little bit but I kept it together just about and um made it to Sierra City and that was like the real kind of turning point for me because um there were all these other hikers there who I, I sort of clung to and asked questions and I talk a lot about a particular group I met in my book who were just like these wonderful group of hikers that, um, yeah, just gave me the kind of reassurance. And I think one of my first questions to them was, is it meant to be this hard? You know, this is like, 
people do this for fun, but it's not fun. Um, and they said, no, everyone feels like that in their first couple of weeks. Like, don't worry, this is exactly how we felt at the beginning. Um, and just hearing that was huge relief. You know, I just thought, okay, this is how everyone experiences it. This is kind of how it's meant to be. I just got to push through this. Um, and and from that point on as well, there was a lot less snow, um, which, which really helped. It was more just sort of, you'd get like half a kilometer of snow and then it would be back on the trail uh, rather than sort of kilometer after kilometer of of um, just slipping and sliding over the, the sort of hardened, you know, by the time of June, all that snow has just been compacted down. So it's more like ice, you know, it's very hard and it starts to melt from the bottom. So you end up with kind of this, got the crust on the top, um, which I did fall through at one point. Um, you know, not very far, like, um, well, it was probably, I don't know, five feet to the bottom, but I was sort of dangling there being like, I've definitely, definitely bitten off more than I can chew. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. That's, you know, this, this kind of hiking is normal in, in spring in Canada. And, you know, we call it post-holing where your leg kind of goes through and you've got, you know, your one leg all the way through and you have to try and push yourself up and then the other leg goes through and... Uh, I couldn't imagine, you know, it sucks for Canadians. Like there's times of the year we're like, oh, we're just not even going to go out because it's going to be unpleasant. But I couldn't imagine here you are in your first, you know, backpack, not expecting this. You know, I'm not sure how heavy your, your pack was and there's no one around. Like uh, it'd take a lot of resilience to keep going. I think a lot of people just feel like, okay, this sucks. I'm going to go back to Truckee and, you know, take a, take a bus, you know, someplace north or south to get out of this, this terrible, uh, terrible hiking conditions. I definitely, definitely considered it. I, I really, I thought about quitting so many times, and I think the thing that got kept me going was actually pride. Um, I, I told everyone I'd ever met that I was going off to do this, and you know, I, I, I felt a real, real sense of failure when I quit my job, um, and having, I was very proud of my career in fashion, and it was part of my identity, a huge part. And being jobless was just not something I was prepared for. So I think a big part of going was sort of being able to say, you know, I'm going to be this adventurer. And there was just no way I could come home, you know, three days later and say, well, there was a bit more snow than I was expecting. You know, it just, I, I had to keep going. Um, so pride, you know, it's not always the most virtuous feeling, but sometimes it can be hugely motivating. And, and I'm so glad I stuck with it because it, like the other hiker said, it did get easier. And then as, as you went on, how long did it take you to go those 300 miles? So I think it was 24 days, if I remember correctly. Um, and I had, I definitely had some zero days where I didn't hike um, any miles to kind of, uh, yeah, just recoup. Um, and uh, and as you predicted, Richard, that I did get a lot of blisters because I did not know about how to manage my feet. They were probably one of the most painful aspects. The other was, of course, the weight of the bag, which, again, because I'm a bit silly, I had not trained with the weight of the bag at all. Um, so it, it was about 13 uh, kg with kind of water and food 
So as I would get nearer to town, it would get less as I'd eaten through my food. Um, and uh, and also there was there was quite a lot of there was a lot of water sources. So I didn't have to carry huge amounts of water um, like like I would have if I'd started off in the desert. So thank goodness for that. Um, but it was still hugely heavy and I would get um, sort of shooting pains between my shoulder blades. Not sure, still haven't really looked into why, but probably just because it was, I wasn't used to it. Um, so yeah, but but it was, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying all the negative things, but it was an incredible experience for sure. <laughs> uh, I think 13 kg is great. I think back to my first long trek and I had an 85 liter backpack, which is like, you know, I use it now when we used to fam family go camping to take three kids and my stuff and a four-person tent. And I had that just for myself. And I remember like every week I'd, I was in the GR10 in the Pyrenees and I'd go to the post office in every town when I came in and mail like a box of my stuff back. And when I got home, I'm like, why did I have six shirts? Why did I have a pair of runners, a pair of sandals, a pair of hiking? Like, I just thought, what the hell was I doing? So uh, if for your first one you were at 13 kg, that's, you know, that's, that's really good, I think. Yeah, that, that's one aspect that I had done a lot of research into. So um, I love buying new gear. <laughs> um, and I, um, I actually funded that by, um, I sold uh, designer gear that I picked up through my career in fashion. Um, and I sold it on eBay and then use that money to buy this ultralight hiking gear. You were selling high fashion for ultralight backpacking gear. Uh, I bet you're the only person in the history of the world to do that. Quite possibly, yeah. Um, but it it was perfect. It was just, it, it was actually quite cathartic, you know. It was sort of shedding these possessions that used to mean a lot to me. And I was trying to get rid of all that stuff you know and 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 exchange it for things that would um be like life sustaining you know it just felt so right to be investing in in this kit and it's brilliant it's it's kit that ha i've still got all of it now and it works brilliantly and i've i've used it you know countless times since so it was definitely the right way to go sure and so you started at trucky where did you finish finish your uh, portion of the pct so I finished um, at Mount Shasta. And was it easy to get out from, you know, because I, I, I think a lot of people, when they hear people do the, the whole PCT, they're like, well, I don't have a whole summer, but I'd love to section hike it or do a part of it. You know, your distance seems almost like a perfect, you know, distance. And so it seems like it's easy to get in at Truckee, but getting out at Shasta, was that easy or is it kind of a pain? Yeah, that was easy. So um, when I kind of started, I'd done a lot of planning on the the initial bit, you know, kind of tracky, getting to the trail, and I'd sort of pick this 300 number, but um, it took a lot of time to kind of plan to the level of detail I was, because at the beginning, I was sort of looking up the route, looking up Google images, looking up, um, you know, water sources. And after, you know, a few hours, well, multiple hours of doing this, I realized that, you know, this was just going to take me forever. And and, and also sometimes more knowledge is not good. I, you know, I was in danger of psyching myself out of doing it. So I kind of thought, you know what? I know where I need to be. I know how to get there. Um, and then let's just start and see how things go. And of course, because I come from England where you are never a stone's throw away from, you know, a pub, 
a taxi rank, a train station. I had no idea the vastness of, you know, just that incredible, like California and wilderness. I'd never experienced that. And I will, I won't forget um, on my first peak that I got to when I got high enough to come out of the tree line to look around me and there was no signs of humans anywhere. And I'm just mind blown, you know, I'd just never been in anywhere like that. And it was just scary, but incredible. Um, so yeah, so I'd definitely been quite naive about that, but it worked out fine because um, the every hiker I met, it was just so helpful um, and, you know, love to chat about kind of what's your plan and, and that sort of stuff. So and one hiker in particular, I said to him, you know, he said, well, like how far do you want to go? And I said, well, you know, 300 miles is kind of a rough number. Um, and he's like, where do you start? So tricky. And he goes, well, you know, obviously knew the trail really well. And he said, if you get to um, Dunsmuir, there's a train station that, and the train will take you all the way to LA, which is where I was flying out from. Um, Cause I just sort of wanted to see a bit more of, of America. And I was like, oh, thanks. So it was just very lucky um, running into him and uh, just took him up on his advice. So when I say Manchester, I think Dunsmuir is super close. Um, but yeah, Dunsmuir is the town I actually got to um, or like the trail crosses like the interstate, I think. Um, so I hitchhiked from there, got into um, Dunsmuir, did go up to see Manchester, obviously because it's a beautiful mountain that I'd been looking at for so much of my the later part of my hike um so it kind of felt like that was the that was the end goal yeah i had to wait overnight and then got a train and it was just a direct train 20 hours from there to um la and sitting on a train with nothing to do nowhere to walk to for 20 hours was bliss it was so good i really enjoyed it and um, just seeing the beautiful landscape like go past my window without having to actually walk was was really nice <laughs> i know that feeling just after you've done a long walk just not walking and and just savoring you know enjoying just like looking at stuff or i always getting nice meals is uh, is always a highlight uh, so so you fly back to england and and you know you sh you say that you know this walk changed your life. How how did it did it happen right away that you when you went back you felt different or did it take some time? And then what was the the different aspect? Yeah, it it definitely took some time. Um, and I've I've been really honest about that in the book. You know, I think a lot of like TV and films would have you believe that you know you you go on an adventure and then everything's fixed when you get home. And of course, it's not like that. I got home and I had um, no job and jet lag. I sort of did feel a bit low, you know, sort of post-adventure blues a bit. It was helped by the fact that I was just so pleased to be around, you know, modern conveniences like a bed. Um, and, you know, I could like have showers whenever I wanted, which was particularly good. Um, and food, I just ate and ate and ate because I did lose a bit of weight um, when I was hiking. Uh, and not in a good way and uh yeah so i i started kind of interviewing and going for um things and i still didn't really have my answer i i had no idea at that stage that you could actually make a career out of, out of adventure itself um and i think even if i had known i'm not sure i would have been brave enough to kind of 
launch into that direction. So I actually started temping, um, which I'm sure you have in in, um, Canada as well as just, yeah, going for different jobs, you know, might be there a a week or two at this uh, particular company and then you get to go another one. So it seemed like a really good way to experience um, different careers. Um, and but it was a bit nerve-wracking you know going into these places that I didn't uh, have any experience of and I remember there was one particular job interview uh, where I was sort of like getting a bit nervous and waiting for the guy who was going to interview me and I just suddenly thought like you faced bears you know you hike through bear country like you can do this and of course you Canadians would be like they weren't grizzlies so calm down but for a Brit (laughs) Um, even the little tiny cinnamon coloured black bears that we, that I saw, um, they were terrifying to me. Um, so just ha- like drawing on that experience and just thinking, like, it just puts it in perspective. You know, it's a job interview. Like it, it really doesn't matter whatever way this goes. Like you, you've already proven yourself. Like, and it was just something I felt proud of. Um, and I just think that's really important, you know, whatever that is, whatever that looks like to you, to just have something that you feel proud of that you've done. And actually, you know, the interview went well. I was in a positive mental state and I came across well and confident. It, w- it was brilliant. And actually, it just so it happened, the um, the guy that was interviewing me was kind of into hiking a bit. And we sort of, he sort of saying, you know, what's this gap on your CV? And I was like, oh, wow. Let me tell you, I have, uh, and of course they're not expecting um, to go hiking. And it was a, it was actually a great way, you know, because obviously I wasn't going to tell any other employees that I'd sort of had this burnout from my fashion career. You know, it doesn't sound great to new employees. So it was a lovely way of, you know, you didn't have to lie, but I, did, I just was able to say, well, you know, I, I actually wanted a change. And so I went hiking and it just sort of showed that I hadn't, um, you know sat around um, I'd gone out and done something and so that so it helped in kind of uh, yeah unforeseen ways but actually the biggest uh, surprising outcome was um, my love of writing I never written anything before I went on this trip at all um, and I started at night when I climbed into my tent I would get out my phone and write the day's events on my phone on the notes app and um, you know it wouldn't set, like wouldn't necessarily send it anywhere um and then that became a re- really great way for me to t- kind of digest the day and kind of what had happened to me and sort of start to process all those feelings and then I actually started writing a blog as I was on the trail um, a couple of friends just said look we want to hear what you're doing um so I did that and yeah and then four years later um a book (laughs) a book came out of it uh and I've absolutely loved loved writing it um so yeah that that was a very surprising outcome well one thing that surprised me is you know you joined the army reserve and so that that was the part you know when I was reading about your story I was like well that's the part that's kind of like was the most surprising for me so how did that come about Yes, that does need some explaining. I got back and I I was interviewing for these jobs and I was temping and I found this um, charity. I started temping for this charity, which I I fell in love with um, and it was great. But there was something missing. You know, 
it wasn't enough anymore to sit at a desk. I realised I needed to incorporate adventure into my life, um, but I wasn't quite sure how to go about it. So I did a few um, a few hikes and I, I went and climbed um, Mount Tukal in uh, Morocco um, and, and they were fantastic experiences, but they lasted for, you know, a week at a time. And then it was months of saving up money to be able to afford to go on the next thing. Um, so I thought, how am I going to lead a more adventurous life on a day-to-day basis? And when I was talking to a fr- friend about this, she said, why don't you um, look at, you know, the army reserves? Because uh, they they pay you, you know, not a huge amount, but they'll pay you for the time you invest in them. And there's lots of adventure training that's advertised. You know, I thought army, there must be lots of outdoor skills that they'll teach me. So I sort of was looking into it. And my, my dad had been in the Air Force and my granddad, the Navy. So, you know, trifecta, he said, <laughs> I'll, I'll be the one to go in the army. So it was that identity piece, I think, as well. I'd sort of found this, like, great... Um, like joy from calling myself an adventurer and I think I I didn't want to let go of that and then there was sort of this like label of like soldier and I, I kind of really got into just that identity and I have to say I did come at the army reserves from a um, sort of a more like humanitarian aid mission type um Otherwise, it does seem completely random. Um, but yeah, so that, that's what my aim was, is to join as a combat medic, um, because in my research, that was a role that would be most helpful um, abroad in, um, yeah, sort of humanitarian aid missions, uh, which I felt would be, um, you know, value, you know, I would get a lot out of, but also help, hopefully I would be helping people too. It was a great experience and I, if I could do everything again, I would still join, but it wasn't for me. It it wasn't the, there wasn't the focus on adventure and outdoors that I had perhaps naively pre- presumed there would be. But what was good is that I'd had that experience of quitting my career and that had been just so huge. And when it came to admitting to myself that the Army Reserves, you know, I'd perhaps made a bit of a mistake. It, it isn't what I want to carry on doing. I I knew that quitting this wouldn't also be the end of the world. It would probably just lead to something else that's fulfilling. Um, and I think knowing that saved me a lot of time because I could have quite easily say stayed in the army reserves for years, um, just sort of you know going along and and not really enjoying it or getting out of it what I wanted um so that that's why (laughs) you know I I think there's a great message there and I see lots of people who are in their 40s and 50s that are doing jobs they hate and you know they hate going to work it's obvious you know I have friends it's like it's obvious they hate what they're doing um but they don't make that change and I've 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 never thought of thought about why they don't don't make the change, but I wonder how much it is just the feeling of oh I've I've failed at you know what I've devoted you know my adult life for or just the fear of quitting and what will come next and 
having changed career and, 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 you know, pushed yourself before you were able to kind of say, Hey, this kind of sucks. Like, why am I still doing it? I don't have to be here where, you know, I think that's a message that's really valuable to people. Like when you find something you love doing, going to work every day is a joy. And, uh, if you're in a job you hate, you know, often it's, it's a case of you're just in, you know, in the wrong company or in the wrong department or in the wrong industry or, you know, the wrong job or something, but, the longer you leave it, the harder it is, it is to do, but yeah, just step up and say, yeah, no, I'm going to quit this. You know, my next job might not be as good or might not pay as much or might not be as prestigious or whatever, but I'm going to find something that, that makes me feel happy. Uh, I think that's a really great message. So let's come back to this book. So, you know, hearing your story, you know, this has obviously really influenced your life. You love writing is the goal to kind of share how adventure changed your life and let other people really understand that, you know, there's another life out there for, for people and help them make that step that you kind of stumbled upon. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'm, I'm not someone that I would ever presume that I could really advise other people on what to do, but I thought there's such power in just sharing your story as honestly as you possibly can. And then people can take from it what they will. And I think I'd really benefited from that, you know, that first podcast that I mentioned that I got listening to, that was just, you know, exactly like this, just interviews of of people's experience. And I sort of got to, you know, cherry pick the the messages and the inspiration from each one. And so it was really important when I was writing the book that I was just super, super honest. Um, You know, even if that meant that I didn't come across particularly well sometimes, you know, I, I didn't always... Um, you know, as I've said, you know, I clearly wasn't some adventure goddess, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. um, And I wasn't particularly a good soldier either. Um, And that's all, you know, detailed in the book. But uh, I, I also tried to explain as much as possible how I was feeling at the time, which was probably the most challenging part of writing the book, because you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing and it's so easy to write knowing what you know now, but it's important to write it as if you were there, you know, what you knew then um, and to not have this kind of rose tint layer to it, which I think is what happens to a lot of adventure stories is that they kind of get like this glossy sheen of like retelling and, you know, and because it all worked out in the end, but it doesn't detract from at the point at that time you were absolutely terrified and you wanted to quit that's important for people to know um just like those hikers being so honest with me when i got to sierra city if they had told me oh no it's fine you know we've been doing this for hundreds of miles and it's easy i probably would have quit there and then thinking i'm just i can't hack it I looked at the reviews of your book online and just, you know, tons of incredible reviews. So uh, if you want to buy Grace's book, you can go on to gracebovis.com and there's a link to the book and uh, it just seems like it's, it's an incredible book. So I'm I'm excited to read it, read it myself. Uh, My last question is you've obviously done all these great adventures. Are you dreaming up another adventure to go on soon? And and if so, what is it? Yeah. So Always, always dreaming of adventures for sure. So COVID, the pre-COVID, I was really looking into getting into mountaineering. Um, and then obviously COVID, you know, made us all think a little bit more locally. Uh, so I got into bike packing, um, which I'm sure your listeners all know, but for any that don't, it's just essentially backpacking, but putting your kit 
tent, everything, and strapping it to your bike, and then cycling to your to your wild camp spot, um, you know, camp there, and then and carry on. Um, and it's brilliant because it's just like hiking, but you can cover huge distances. I've really, really got into that, and I've done, yeah, like quite a few different sort of organised events of long distance in the UK. Um, and then I've actually started to kind of plan my own very, very casual, um, kind of literally just, I posted on my Instagram saying, right, I want to cycle from here to here. Um, anyone want to come? Um, and I did that um, in May this year. I went from Edinburgh to Peak District, which is, like 500 kilometers um and i i had some like amazing women just take a leap of faith with me and come with me and um yeah so that that was great so i'm planning a few more like those um to just kind of yeah like give back to the adventure community a little bit as well like obviously i i really enjoy them but i think it's great for some people that maybe haven't tried wild camping before and don't want to do it on them by themselves then we can go as a group and do it together. That's incredible. Uh, Grace, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been really great to hear your story. And uh, I think it's really important because there's, you know, lots of people out there that they want to do something like this or they want to change their life, but they don't know that this exists or, you know, they're just worried. They don't know enough that they can start, start doing this. So uh, thank you for sharing your story uh, on the podcast. Thank you so much, Richard. It's, it's honestly been a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, if you want to buy Grace's book, once again, you can go on to our website at gracebovis.com. You can also follow her on Instagram at grace underscore bovis. And uh, who knows, maybe join her on a bike packing trip next year. Um, uh, I'll put all this in the show notes. Uh, and with that, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear more epic adventures on the 10 Adventures podcast. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. If you liked it, why not give us a review? Better yet, subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure.